It's Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken loves talking about cars and automotive trends. And here he is, the automotive host with the most, Ken Chester. Welcome to America's premier automotive news and information talk show. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Thank you for joining me for this hour. Regular listeners know that I pack each and every one of our visits with information and insight, talking about things that you need to know as a tech-savvy consumer in this fast-paced world we live in. I'm all about sharing the news you can use today while explaining things in plain English. As usual, we got plenty to get to, but first, for those of you that desire to join in the conversation, you can text or call me anytime on the Roadworthy Drive line. That number... 872-222-9793. If email is your forte, no worries. My email address is ken at rowworthydrive.com. In either case, feel free to drop me a line. I'd love to hear from you. Now, during my breaking news segment, in a few minutes, a toll road tried surge pricing, and whoops, a ride-sharing service charges $18,000 for an 11-mile ride. You're not going to want to miss out on either of these. For the second segment, I report on the 2017 SEMA Award for Hottest Vehicles. Later, it's all about smart cities. What exactly does that mean anyway, smart city? We're going to try to pursue that and try to come to some consensus. Finally, if we have the time, I will wrap up this hour with the fall of Faraday Future. It's a cautionary tale, and you don't want to miss any of this that's coming up. As usual, we're all about safety here at Roadworthy Drive. As a result, we have a capable adult manning the controls when the show is underway. That man who makes sure the right things happen is none other than my good friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon. Hey there, Jack. Hi, Ken. Merry Christmas. Thank you. Merry Christmas to you, too, sir. Thank you very Uh, much. I noticed before we got started, it was a little pre-production issue over there you got straight. Yeah, there was a little pre-production issue we had to take care of, but, okay. we've, but we've got it all taken Things care of. Things are good. Life uh, is wonderful. Tires are on the concrete. We're we're ready to go. So, yeah, sign and shine up, dirty side down. Yep. Okay, okay, Ken, let's start with this. Uh-huh. I need you to explain to me what this Virginia toll road surge pricing is. Okay. Well, let's, well, let's start with the story, and then I'll get into it. Okay. Apparently, earlier this month, the state of Virginia... Uh, opened up their express lanes that required two more people, in other words, what they call uh, HOV lanes, Right. Uh, two sole drivers. If you're one person in the vehicle, they open it up to you, but with a caveat. The caveat is you're going to pay what they call a a toll based on dynamic pricing. The more vehicles in that lane, the more money you were going to pay. I'll let that sink in. Uh, Basically, they said it's, it's a it's a it's a toll for single occupant drive single occupant cars subject to demand that changes every six minutes. On December fifth, for a few minutes during one of its cycles, for that eleven miles, it reached forty dollars. Uh, no, <laughs> right? No, I'll be over in the next lane over. Well, you know, here's the thing: if you just carry one person with you, you can drive in that lane for nothing. Well, I understand. I understand that, but let's face one thing: out in California, years ago, when they people got busted for it, they used to put mannequins in there. Yep, I remember um, that. Um, how do I say this nicely without getting myself in trouble? Um, dolls. Yep. Oh my. 
um, or just cardboard people? Yeah, well, here's the thing. According to the transportation officials, the high price toll is less about money and more about changing consumer uh, behavior and reducing congestion. Now, here's the thing. When they put this in effect, the average speed on that interstate went up and the average dwell time went down. So they were making some progress. And here's the thing. You're not required. Remember, we said the express lanes. You can take the other lanes. Don't have to pay a dime. But if you take the express lanes, you've agreed to whatever the dynamic pricing is at the time. Yeah, but can they just, like, if I start out in the middle of the day and I'm on my way and it's, I don't know what the normal price is, but let's just say $10. Mm. And then all of a sudden as I'm driving along there, it just bumps up to 40 no, Or How does it, that work? No, it would be when you got on it you would know what the price was. Oh, okay. In other words, you're not going to get jacked at the end there. Okay. You, you're going to, but you have a choice. You still have a choice. And they said during the same times that the inbound was 40, outbound, you could have went on the express lanes for seven. But see, wow. anything like that is just, I'm sorry, it's just ridiculous. But here's my problem. You don't have to drive on that express lane not a requirement you're not stuck driving that you can drive the other four lanes if you want to but if you want a preference over and above and take the express and not have to deal with the local ramps you pay the price now it's only happened once okay okay but Here's i guess my problem is my problem with everybody getting up in arms oh my god forty dollars wait a minute you're not required to not it would be different if this was your only choice then it's highway robbery and it's unfair. But you have choices. You could get with the rest of the other traffic and take your way in. Or you could team up with somebody from your town going into work just where you're going into and ride for free. So I'm sorry. I don't feel the way y'all feeling about well, this. Well, and my question becomes this, Sasha. What happens if the other four lanes are blocked? See, and that was my question because, I mean, at what point – um, okay, but stop. If it. you have to get over, like let's say I've been traveling in that traffic, right? So let's say I had to get over because somebody veered in, and then it took me that long to get back out. I didn't mean to go into the express lane. Okay, first of all, le let's clarify something. Okay, you can't in and out the express lane. Okay, so it's it separate. It, that's why they call express lanes. They're divided. Okay, in other words, there's specific exits you can get on and off. The reason why they're called express lanes is in this 10 miles, there may be five, six exits, local exits. Okay. This express lane doesn't have them. You get on up there, you're going all the way into D.C. Okay. All right. Okay. That's the thing. So if you're going back and forth from out 10 miles out into D.C. and you don't want to fool with the traffic because you need to get there at a certain time, then you take these. Up till the end of November, you didn't even have a choice as a sole driver to use these lanes. This is the first month. Okay, so you're saying like there are, I'm assuming there are signs saying that yes. if up to the express lane, yeah, saying that this is how much it's going to be if you're traveling alone. Changes every six minutes. Okay, then you know what? No, I'm with Ken on this then. Okay, yeah. and you, okay, you, and that, and that's fine. But I got we got to move on. Um, Sasha, yes, sir. I would think you and I need to get in on this deal. Okay, what what deal are we talking? Eighteen thousand dollars for an eleven minute ride. Do you know how many bills I can pay with $18,000? I know that's dollars? right. Yeah, For well, 11 miles? Okay, first of all, first of all, it was 18000 Canadian. Second of all, Uber acknowledged it was a mistake. Third of all, the amount was refunded. 
So you're saying that the 21 minute ride should have cost 12 to 16 dollars. Ooh. Not 18,000. They said it was possible that the fare was incorrectly put into the meter. Uber's ride share, this is Uber, uh, was pricing is based on several factors, including a flat fee that's charged at the start of the trip, as well as a cost per minute and distance traveled. Now, there could be surge pricing, depending on demand at the time of the ride, but this was not a case of surge pricing. This was a case of whoops. How did that go about, though? Like, what is the they actual... Prob- they probably put it in wrong. Okay, but so I get to my destination, right? And I assume that I had to pay with a credit card or some mm-hmm. kind of... Okay. Mm-hmm. My credit card is not going to allow you to charge $18,000. Yeah, I'm sure there was a problem at the end. So they're going to let me just go, or did I have well, to wait there for the police, or what? They didn't get into all that. See, I'm sure they got that squared away relatively quick. But here's the thing. Now... That was an error. That was an error. Okay. But now let's talk about one where last year Gal was uh, lived 30 miles from Dallas Airport. Okay. Two feet of snow. Has to catch a plane to get to Denver. Okay. So, okay. She agrees to pay the surge pricing. Now, she knows it's surge. She, she know, and they tell her up front four times. She thinks the base rate is one price, but it was higher. So she's thinking that, okay, even with surge pricing at four times, that I should be out about two fifty, worth it to me. Uh, wow! No, it was six hundred and forty dollars for a thirty mile trip to the airport in two feet of snow. Six. Wow! Yeah. How much of that went to the driver, that and I, how much of that was Uber's? I, I don't know. I was. I don't know. And explain to me how Uber. Explain to me their it's surge called, pricing. It depends on demand, a situation. The reason why they would do it in bad weather is to encourage more people to be out there to make rides available. Now, ironically, now this woman who uh, is professional woman, you know, uses Uber, got $160 credit for that. So, oh, well. When I come back, 2017 SEMA Award for Hottest Vehicles and Smart Cities, what does that mean? You are listening to Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas everywhere you go. Take a look in the five and ten. Everybody's complaining about the business today. Okay, it's rough. But what are they doing about it? I mean for the customer. After all, he's spending the money. Well, this is a Sunoco tire store, and I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do about it. Mike, I'm going to do a lot more than those other tire stores who just sell you tires and never see you again. Now, that means I'm first going to recommend the right kind of tire for the way you drive. After all, who knows more about the way you drive than me, the guy who services your car? Then I'm going to give you my best deal, and I can put it on your Sunoco credit card. Then I'm going to balance those tires for you. No charge. And from there on in, I'm going to be right here to look those tires over. Every week if you want. Now, I don't know of any other tire store that's going to do all that. Maybe that's why they're complaining. Me? I'd rather be working. So come around. Try me. I can be very friendly. 
Welcome to segment two of this hour of Roadworthy Drive. I'm so glad that you dropped by. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Now, you may not realize that one of the biggest events in the automotive industry isn't even open to the public. It is held each year at the Las Vegas Convention Center, covers approximately 3 million square feet with hundreds of vendors and tens of thousands of attendees. It's the SEMA show, held every November now uh, for 51 years. Last one just ended here back last month. Uh, it's sponsored by the Specialty Equipment Manufacturers Association, and I was fortunate to attend the show last year for its 50th anniversary. It's amazing. I was impressed, overwhelmed, all rolled into one, and you know what? I want to go back. I just want to go. Oh, it's awesome. Jack, it's awesome. You can't begin to put it all in perspective. There is just so much. And I'm not even starting to talk about the TV celebrities that are there, uh, the various other celebrities that are wandering around. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal. It's a trade show, but it's huge. And the funny thing of it is, the public's not allowed in. You mentioned that. Yeah, I know, but it, it it's just crazy. But anyway, um, one of the things that they do is they have their members, which represents pretty much of every corner of the automotive aftermarket industry, vote on what they consider to be the hottest vehicle of the year. Now, there's five categories. Hottest truck, hottest 4x4, hottest sedan, hottest coupe, and hottest hatchback. Care to Hatchback? Get hatchback, yes, sir. Now, what they mean by that is they want to talk about uh, which original equipment manufacturer vehicles are the hottest new and emerging vehicle platforms for accessorizing, modifying, and customizing, which makes sense because that's what they do. Correct. Well, any, any guesses? Hottest coupe. I'll let you guess. I would have no idea. Chevy Camaro. Okay. I can see that. Okay. I'm a little disappointed with the hottest sedan, but okay. Hottest sedan. Gotta be Hyundai. No. Cadillac CTSV. Which is interesting because it was just redesigned about three years ago. Mm -hmm. And we reported here that some concern of whether or not it's going to be around after 2019. Interesting. Now, um, let's see. Um, hottest hatchback. I'm going to say Ford Focus. Dead on. Ford Focus. My wife drives one. That's how I knew that one. Yeah. Um, hottest 4x4. Four four. The Ford F-150? 4x4 four four SUV. I'm sorry. Oh, for Chevy Tahoe. No. What? Jeep Wrangler. Okay, that's a surprise. Not really. The Wrangler, according to Fiat Chrysler, is their most customized vehicle. That 71% of, of those that they sell get customized. Okay. Uh, it also happens to be the highest one that people don't usually buy a second one. And, well, I don't know, and I don't know if it's because they keep them forever or because they, as their needs change, they graduate into something else. But I think you and I will both agree on this one. Around here, mm -hmm. what I see the most customized mm -hmm. Cadillac Escalade. Mm, I've seen a few, but no. Oh, I've seen a bunch of them. I, I've seen a little bit of everything. But, of course, where I live, somebody even customized a Subaru Forester. Wow. wow. Yeah. Drop that puppy, oh, my goodness, okay. to the point where the rear wheels are just flayed out. Yeah. But, and, I, and I've seen a lot of Hondas get customized. Yep. Okay, here you go. Hottest truck. Ford F-150. Ford F-Series. 
Yeah, I know. You own one. So. Yes, I do. As You know what they used to say, ask the man who owns one. Yep. But, yeah, the thing here about SEMA is they're looking at and they're developing a whole bunch of aftermarket uh, equipment for these vehicles. Now, part of this is a willingness by the original equipment manufacturer to actually facilitate uh, customization. In other words, that they would design the vehicle to make it easier for these aftermarket companies to offer um, equipment to customize, personalize, however you want to do it, from outside stuff, hardware like wheels and tires and shocks and things, to interior goods. Well, but the one thing you're also noticing with pickup trucks today is the fact that a lot of them already come equipped with running boards. Yeah, but running boards is one of many ways you oh, can equip I know. a truck. I mean, you've got... Uh, what you can do the bed, what you can do for lighting. Oh, some of the lighting options are oh my. insane. You can you can light up a movie scene with one of these. Easily. Seen from out of space, I think, with some of these. Yeah. You know, basically, with some of these aftermarket lighting kits, uh, if you can't see with that, you blind. <laughs> That's true. You know, but it's interesting that Cadillac would be lending itself. I, I mean, a CTS-V is their performance vehicle anyway of the CTS family. So you're going to start at a high dollar level. But what kind of options would you put on a vehicle uh, like that? Suspension. Okay. Engine. Appearance. You could change out the grill. You can change the lighting. You can drop the car a little bit, which I wouldn't recommend, but you can do it. Um, and then interior. So, so I mean, it's still a lot of stuff you can do. So we're talking about something like what a, and I'm just going to say this, because it's the only term I know, something like West Coast Customs would do. Yeah, but even more than that. Okay. I mean, these guys can go stone wild. I mean, I get the C I get the SEMA magazine. Mm -hmm. It has hundreds of pages of all the new stuff available that, and what it fits. I mean, just constantly new crazy stuff from, you know, uh, tools for your shop to, you know, lighting and performance and appearance and you name it. There's just plenty going on out there. Regardless, I so, just I, so, I would have thought I would have thought the Dodge Charger though, myself. Well, that one I would agree. With, but what you're t basically telling me is that anybody with any year of car, we if, if we could do it, we could trick out Sasha's minivan. God help us all. But yes, okay, not that not that we'd want to. That's when you cue in that song. It's hard to look cool in a minivan. Uh, yeah. Hey, there's no haters here. We we got love for minivans too. No. Ah, no. oh well. But SEMA, folks, it's an amazing time, and we'll be talking about that down through the year. Uh, and I do hope to get back maybe in 2018 because it's amazing. You're taking both of us with you. Yes. yes. You think? Yes. Uh, yes, because I'm going to see to it that the suits say yes. Oh well. Well, folks, when I return, smart cities. Do you live in one? And later, the fall of Faraday Future: A Cautionary Tale. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is heard Happy exclusively holiday. on the Roadworthy Drive radio network. Happy holiday. Happy holiday. While the merry bells keep ringing. Happy holiday. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is America's premier automotive news and information talk show. The stars are bright. 
I got to figure out who, who is that anyway? Mariah Carey. That's what I thought. Wow. Uh, it, happy holidays and Merry Christmas, everybody. This is the third segment of Roadworthy Drive. I'm Ken Chester. For those of you to desire more than your fair share of the road, check out the show website. That's www.roadworthydrive.com. Find audio clips of past shows, watch video of our behind-the-scenes goings-on and antics as we produce the show in studio each week and much, much more. The website is also a great place to discover where to find us in the world of social media. Sasha, our social media diva, keeps things interesting, light, and lively. Yes, I said it. Uh, as she posts interesting and informative things during the week between shows. Be sure to take a look and see how she keeps the social in our social media. Now, I'll ask you guys. Okay. Um, when you think of smart cities with regards to evolving transportation, uh, well, first of all, smart city, does a definition come to mind? What does that mean to you? I would have thought it meant something that had a whole lot of intelligence running around in it. As, like, what, for example? People. Oh, okay. intelligent people in a large gathering? That's not That's not a thing. Okay, what about you? <laughs> Sasha? Um, I actually, when uh, I think about an infrastructure that is actually uniquely um, connected to transportation, um, you want to talk about people that are, the cars are connected to the grid, um, very integrated Internet of Things, vehicle to infrastructure, vehicle to vehicle, Vehicle to everything. Yeah, vehicle to everything. Yeah. Here's here's the thing, and this actually may play right into Jack's concerns. In fact, more so the city than the autonomous cars we've been talking about. Okay. Um, I started when I looked up, when I was researching for this particular segment, um, I thought that the term smart cities was pretty straightforward. Mm -hmm. Dug into it. Found out it's a very nebulous term. Really? Extremely nebulous. One of the basic concerns was that it was, and I'm going to focus on the negative and come around to the good if I can. All right. Uh, that there, there are social um, um, professors concerned about the negative impacts of a, of a city so connected yeah. that uh, the risk of collecting all that data, um, who has the ability to look at it? Uh, is it getting used in the right way? What rights or controls do people have for data? For example, you're waiting at a bus stop. I am. And that you've got a camera there that records you at the bus stop. And maybe it knows because you scanned your ticket where you're going. And maybe it you know, can track you, theoretically. Um, one of the things, and in fact, it mentions Kansas City uh, at length, one of the pieces that I found. Okay. Really? Some examples, yes. They're connect they're considering Kansas City and integrated They're cons well, Kansas City has a test. Um they just recently launched a two point two mile um not a subway but a trolley line. Oh. It's an intelligent trolley line. Now against two point two miles against a metropolitan that covers two states and three hundred and fifty square miles <laughs> ain't much, but they talked about the challenges, the vendors, the interconnectivity. That project uh, was going to cost the city. Well, the city, the, the project cost $15 million. Ooh. The city put up 3.7. Okay. Um, the city has had kind of a director over information since 2010. And they're trying to look at ways to make sure that 
um, that this information is not abused, that consumers know, one, what information may be collected, two, how it's being used, and three, who's responsible. Okay, can I jump in here for just a second? Yeah, I knew you would. And I wanna, I'm want i going to go around the barn a little bit here to try to ask my question. Okay. Whenever we were at the former church that I attended, when we had a concert and we had we were actually recording it, mm -hmm. we shot the concert, we shot the people enjoying it. Mm and we had to put out at both at every entrance, we had to put the what I'm gonna call the disclaimer. Yep. That by walking in the door, you give us the right to, to videotape you. To videotape you. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. As concerned as I am about privacy, and I think we all are concerned about privacy. Yes, sir, mm -hmm. we are. Do we really want the technology out there or that information being out there that they can track us wherever we go? Oh. Well, here's the thing, and that boils down to this. Smart city mm -hmm. or surveillance city? Or what? Enemy of the state, anybody? City. Could be. Yeah. Now, Kansas City has tried to address privacy concerns in a few ways. In April 2015, the city council passed a resolution that laid out a number of basic data privacy principles, including okay. a promise to consider public well-being before collecting, using, and disclosing personal information. In addition to that, Kansas City has had a variety of open meetings where they invite the public in to basically give them the rundown on this is what this is about, this is how we're doing it, do you have questions, concerns, understandings. The problem is... As we go towards, and, and Smart City really is a grab bag. For some people, in, in the case of me starting this article, uh, they're talking about vehicle-to-grid, vehicle-to-infrastructure. Right. But that's really doesn't, that's only like this much of it. It's really a little piece of it. There's so much more. They're talking about uh, ma smart management and get basically big data to be more efficient. The problem with big data is the fact that it's big data. It collects everything. Um, one of the uh, vendors that are developing along the Kansas City corridor, and it kind of gave me pause, uh, they talked about, and I'm trying to find it right here right quick in my notes, uh, because this thing gave me a lot of pause, and I was concerned, yeah, um, where I asked the question, what about Big Brother? Uh, and... We talked about that. Hold on. I cannot find it. Well, and but see. Go ahead. Talk. Um, <laughs> yes. Help yourself. Right. I guess my thing is, is that obviously with the big data, but who, who is in charge of all my data? Like when it says Sasha J. Little is getting on the number six bus and she gets on the number six bus Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and she is gone on the number six bus from this time to this time. And then she catches the number eight bus, which takes her. 27.5 miles away from her home, and she has gone from her home for so long. Okay, first of all, they're not collecting data at that level. Okay, but when but you were saying that not, it could track them. Well, that was one, one of the, one of the uh, startups okay. was looking at using this stuff in Kansas City to track somebody, for example, who maybe had Alzheimer's they couldn't find. Yes. That scared me. Yes. For exactly what you just said. There it is. Drones, for example, could help the city save money on searching for an elderly person with a mental disability who goes missing. Um, a California company that's developing drones connect the wish bands. When an alert is issued, a drone can find and hover over the missing person. That concerned me. Because that would be facial recognition software. Well, that, and on the surface, 
finding somebody that may be lost is a good thing, but I'm not sure I want that level of attention. And that really is something that we'll continue to talk about. It's another subject in the Internet of Things and all this stuff swirling, and we'll keep, uh, we'll keep tabs on it. So when I come back, finally, another one bites the dust. Faraday Future, a cautionary tale. Don't touch that dial. You're tuned to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. You're tuned in to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. If you're just tuning in, this is the fourth and final segment of this hour of Roadworthy Drive, our holiday vision. Uh, Merry Christmas and happy holidays to all. Okay, folks on the radio, he just shot me the dirtiest look I've ever gotten from him. What? Because he has no idea who this is. You're right, so tell me. Nat King Cole. Oh, my. Okay, that's why. I, I, I should about, know better. I, yeah, hello. All right. You're older than I am. You should definitely know better. Wow. Wow. Now, thank you. Throwing the age out wow. there. Well, folks, I'm Ken Chester, and uh, thank you for uh, joining us for this last segment of our show this hour. Now, over the years in this program, we have talked about a variety of up-and-coming automotive manufacturers. Some have been no more than a flash in the pan. Some have been resurrected to life, and that's karma the car, not the lady. And some have been crazy successful like Tesla. Uh, but that's not the usual. That's more of the aberration, yep. not the norm. However, it takes a lot of money and time and usually billions of dollars and tens of years just to survive in the auto industry. And honestly, for the last hundred years, it's always been that way. For our last segment of this hour, I want to talk about a company called Faraday Future, a company in a car that has most likely died before ever becoming a production reality. It is a cautionary tale. Yes, it is. Now, we reported here a while back when they were first showing their flashy car and it was going to yep. be all so cool and the FF1 and all of that. Uh, red flags for us here at Roadworthy Drive was they were promising to bring that, what, to Chicago? Yeah. Chicago was Chicago or New York. Or New York. New York. New York. It was New York. Because you were at the New York Auto Show. And uh, to show us the car. Now, I did see a beautiful uh, car in an up-and-coming company called Lucid Air, and I'm yes. really rooting for them. That car is amazing. Yes. That electric car is going to be awesome, and if they can get that one off the ground, they will sell every one of them they make. But Faraday Future was missing. Now, there's always a bunch of intrigue when companies go sideways, and this one had some extra help because of some co-mingling and some very erratic behavior by its founder, who also ran a conglomerate in China Um and, yeah, it was just a mess. It really was. And as I looked into this more and more, uh, I didn't realize what a mess it had become. So let me, let me start with this. Let me paint the picture for you. When Faraday Future emerged from stealth mode in 2015, it promised to transform the car industry with an American-made luxury electric vehicle that would someday be fully autonomous. Does that sound familiar? It does, actually. Just a little bit. Maybe even sold through a subscription service. For the uh, Consumer Electronics Show uh, earlier this year, 
The company was taking aim at, oh, gee, I don't know, Tesla <laughs> with a car called the FF91 that was designed to dazzle with a 0 to 60 time of 2.4 seconds and a jaw-dropping uh, proposed $180,000 price tag, which, Ooh. as we've t- reported here in previous last week, 180000 not so bad. The vehicle we were talking about was what, 750 Yep. Yeah. And they got more going than these guys. However, it's a matter of survival. Now, they originally were supposed to build this new, huge, phenomenal plant in yep. Nevada. In Nevada. That fell apart. Yep. I'll tell you why in a minute. Uh, then they were supposed to buy this old tire plant in California. Yep. That's falling apart. That's not going to happen either. Um, it seems that money is an issue. <gasps> what? Yeah. Imagine that. Uh, while this guy is building and buying mansions in California, wow, there's no money to run the business. <laughs> okay. And, uh, and bookkeeping, not so much. Put a person in charge that had no finance experience whatsoever. Did not keep the receipts. Uh, it way worse than that. <laughs> How um, can it be way worse than that? Oh, yeah. Brought people over from Tesla uh, <gasps> and gave them carte blanche to hire people that had nothing to do. No. The payroll got to $12 million with no factory, no product, no nothing. Wow. Yeah. And so, it got to be, they were employing by that time over 2,500 people. So wait, 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 wait. Let me just, I need to wrap my head around this. Yeah, I want you to. Okay. So they were hiring people from Tesla. Yep. And I'm going to assume that paychecks were still being deposited. And these people had no building to work at, so we're going to assume that they were working from home Don't know. software? Don't know. They had a little office building that they ended up getting locked out of because they didn't pay for that either. Yeah, but I mean, that's my thing. There was literally no place for this place to be. I'll read it to you like this. Oh, yay. Um, while Faraday Future posed as the newest California electric car startup that attracted top automotive industry talent, Ten former employees and one person close to the company said behavior and business practices of its chief investor have brought business, I quote, to a halt. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to pronounce the guy's name, but he goes by uh, YT. Okay. And I will go this, this story here, where the company stands financially is unclear. I want to let you know that this article was written, um, uh, Verve, Verge. Uh, on December 12th. So this is fairly recent. Um, Have we gotten any like direct quotes from the company at all since? That's the problem. The company's playing fast and loose. And we've seen this before. Yes, when companies are in trouble, they get vague. Mm-hmm. They won't answer. They're not even answering their own employees. You've got people they brought in who know what they're doing. They wouldn't support them. They turned around and quit. I wonder if the, because they actually got a few top people from Tesla. Were... And a few other parts in the automotive industry. Yeah. Around early 2015, Faraday Futures founding executives presented the major stockholder owns Lieco in China. Right. They call him YT, with a plan for a company that focused on one model made in one small factory, according to former employees with direct knowledge of the company's finances. Okay. The original goal, these people recall, was to someday make about 50,000 of these cars a year. Bear in mind, Tesla last year built 84,000 cars. Just keep that in perspective. Do we have any idea what Tesla's building this year? Um, a little bit more, but uh, we've reported large and long about the problems at Tesla, too. Yep. And they got the money, and they're trying to do it right. Yeah. And they're having problems, but theirs is process, not financial.
these are strictly financial because of the main investor playing fast and loose with the money and uh, kind of a shuffle game between his company in China, the company here, and people not finally not getting paid and quitting. Wow. I'd go you this fur. The, the, the main investor uh-huh. pushed for a much bigger factory in Nevada like Tesla, a company that Faraday Futures executives viewed as a competitor, one that had poached talent from, and increased the production target to multiple models in 150,000 units a year. The finance team spent weeks recalculating for this change in scope, people say, and it was eventually determined the necessary investment cost would be about $3 billion. Well, you said that when we were first talking about and it was And it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And it didn't happen. And they're gone. Oh, well. And that seems to be all the time we have. On behalf of Jack, Sasha, and myself, thank you for tuning in. You have been listening to Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.